welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire. Today I am joined by my host uh, Jeremias and we've also got Jamie on, Jamie Dakota from Hell Butchcraft. Jamie, this is uh, you. This being your third episode, you are now officially the most uh, frequent guest on the show. How Yay. do you feel about that? I feel excellent. I will send, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you my address for my obligatory uh, t-shirt and mug. Um, happy to be yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get a plaque carved for you that you can hang over your fireplace. <laughs> yep, I need it. I need it. Now it's great to be back. But we it's were, always, uh, always fun chatting to you too. Yeah, man. It's, yeah, it's, and we had uh, you on our um, course, or our experience, rather. Yeah, spring. I've met you in person now. You know, I've, I've been close enough to like yeah. stroke both of your faces, which is a new, <laughs> a, a new dynamic. I can't, I can't really... I can't really remember if it did or not. <laughs> there was one or two nights where there oh, was a point, I think, wasn't there? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I think it was you stroked my face and then you said, don't tell your amuse because he'll feel left out. or something. <laughs> it, was something like, it was something along those lines. I can't remember. <laughs> that was it. That was it. It was about the time when you were pretending to be a sheep with a Yorkshire accent, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's one of the things what I... I can't go for a walk now in the Peak District and hear the sheep without thinking it's you behind a bush. You know, <laughs> you should peek behind every bush and see if that's if that's Porg. Yeah, I would. I would be worried too. But it's uh, speaking of uh, sheep, um, uh, journeyman Handcraft seems to be doing well. I mean, he was on the course as well, which is why we were talking about him or with him in that conversation, which is why it kind of came to my mind. But. He seems he and his uh, partner have have bought themselves like a nice um, kind of space for his for his workshop now. That looks amazing. Have you have you been down there yet? Uh, I've not not had a chance to go yet. He's he's invited me down to go and have a look, and uh, yeah, the first chance I get, I head down there. But yeah, I was just looking on his um, his Instagram the other day, and they put in like mm. a mezzanine floor. Um, so yeah, like properly chuffed for him. I think it's it's going to so be an nice. amazing space. Um, while he's talking about doing larger projects, I, I've been pestering him for years to make, um, make right. some tarps, um, like whether whether that's you know modern lightweight tarps or kind of the more traditional mm-hmm. wax canvas ones. Um, and he's, you know, from what Brian was telling me, it's just too much, um, too difficult where it was before. But he's, you know, specifically one of the reasons he wanted to get that space was so that he could have this, um, yeah, this kind of uh, bigger workshop in order to do yeah. larger projects. So, yeah, super excited to, to see really cool. coming out. Yeah, that's very nice. But, Jamie, a lot about um, concepts and yes. ideas of sharing and teaching bushcraft or outdoor skills or outdoor knowledge or whatever label you want to put put on these different things. And we had a really good discussion while I was picking up poop, and uh, you were standing there watching me picking up poop. Yeah, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> All the best yeah. conversations. <laughs> it was that was like about quarter to seven in the morning or something as well. Like it was really Before early. Coffee. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I found I found I found it. It, it was it was such an such a refreshing conversation to have. Um, like I mentioned a lot before, like my my, I have not necessarily done any courses in 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 bushcraft specifically, and my relationship to the 
bushcraft community is online based and it is hard to get a good idea of how people are approaching the subject of teaching skills and experiences to other people without it looking like it is very um, for lack of a better term one two three step based done you're good on to the next one but you were you were talking we were talking a lot about how you like to weave in a little bit more of a naturalist idea in why these skills are maybe good to have or important or different a little bit more of a holistic approach to teaching rather than this sort of yeah step one to five yeah yeah i mean absolutely it's just part of the kind of the whole philosophy of of you know how, how i've come to practice bushcraft really in that um you know I, I never approached it with this mind that there must be say the perfect way to light a fire and i'm going to learn how to do that sort of you know by row abc you, you know kind of organically having having gone camping since i was really young and you just naturally tried different things um you know it's it's um a journey and an exploration and i think to to rob my students of that um for the sake of a a, a recipe for want of a better word um i think you know it's, it's not they're, they're missing a whole chapter of their kind of outdoor life then um so when we're teaching we're always trying to um conceptualize it put it into context um sorry yeah contextualize it um with this mind that you know what on any given subject so if i just stick to fire lighting like what we might do is talk about wet weather fire lighting um as a useful skill if you're going to be camping you know especially um in the uk where it rains all the time being able to light a fire in the rain is the learning outcome that's that's the bullet point on my syllabus that i want my my students to go away having um yeah having this i can light. i feel confident i i know how to light a fire in the rain um and there's there's various ways to do that so pedagogically i could go okay you need x amount of thin sticks and x amount of slightly thicker sticks and you need to arrange them in this way and light them like this um and to a large extent you know that might be how a session progresses um but what we never want to do is is you know work in absolute so i never want to say this is fundamentally what you have to do um and also you know i want them to feel like they can play and so it's it's better from my mind and you know it's, it's taken me a while in, in in my kind of career as a teacher to feel confident you know to get to that point but if we're talking about wet weather fire lighting the nuances of you know airflow and buffing off moisture um and um direct conduction of heat from one twig to another versus radiated heat versus putting it into the thermal column and all that sort of thing um that's that's then a space for learning and it's better to have an understanding of that than um to just go yes do a b c d and you will have a fire um and again that's that structure works so if you know if the outcome is literally 
I want the students to be able to light a fire in the rain. I can teach them a method of doing that, which will work, um, you know, flawlessly um, every time. But they might not necessarily have an understanding of why it works every time. And so we, we do quite a bit of talking and, and kind of demonstrating around, you know, here's what happens if the bundle's too tight versus here's what happens if it's too loose. They don't necessarily, you know, you can make an argument that they, they don't need to know that. They just need to know how to do it. But I think, um, yeah, kind of approaching uh, approaching all, all the kind of classical sort of bushcraft topics with this idea of, you know, like there is a right way to do it and it must be done this way, um, you know, I think kind of robs them of an experience really. Mm. And it can be, I suppose it could be, a, it can be a balance of those things, isn't it? Because I suppose, <clears throat> at least from, from speaking from my own experience with uh, being at, in courses and stuff, you, you can sometimes fall victim to literally standing in front of an instructor who clearly knows everything about this subject and literally kind of just wants to tell you how much they know about the subject. Um and so then it kind of almost saps that you used the word play earlier. And I think that's a really interesting word to kind of take into consideration there because that can have two meanings. One play as in like a child to be actually just playing, like having fun and games. Whereas on the other side yeah. of play is like, for me, almost like the experimental side of things where you're playing around, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. You're almost like troubleshooting it. And in my mind, that's probably yeah. one of the best ways to learn how to do something is to kind of, well, try it for yourself, see how it works, see how it doesn't work. Um, yeah. And where is there a balance there? Because, you know, you want the students to understand the fundamentals of, you know, well, this is why you know, this catches on fire. This is why this piece of wood is not catching on fire because all the energy that's, you know, being required to dry it out is actually stopping it from lighting, you know? So like, that's a very fundamental thing, but then, you know what I mean? Like what, where's the balance between education and play, I suppose, or the two, for me, they would be the two kind of ends of the seesaw. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that is the new, the nuance of, being a teacher really mm. is trying to, you know, qu quickly understand where your student is and what they need and what they want and trying to marry all those things up in a way where they get an experience that's, that's kind of authentic right. and valuable to them. Right. Um, and sometimes in quite short order, like, you know, most of our courses are, are kind of two day courses. So we specifically work with small groups. So there'll be two instructors to eight students. So I've, typically working one to four um, and a fire lighting session might be, you know, two hours long. So um, just with the maths, they get about half an hour of FaceTime in that, um, which, um, which I think can be quite a lot, but, um, but yeah, the trying to read them and understand. So I, I spend quite a lot of time thinking about whether, um, you know, on in kind of post course reflection, looking at how I taught that session and and how the student progressed, and whether I feel like they were um, better at stuff after the course, or whether they you know got what they wanted out of it. And I think, yeah, um, trying to um, trying to appreciate how to get them along that journey um, without 
being the instructor that spends 45 minutes talking about everything they know about fire. <laughs> but because it, it, it's basically just, it, it boils down to um, a sort of a divergence in teaching strategies because there's one teaching strategy, which is the kind of experiential learning, which is, you know, okay, we are here, it is raining, go and light a fire and don't come back until you have. And in that sense, as the teacher, I'm providing you with the with the facility um, and I'm, I'm available to answer questions, but you're kind of doing your own learning at that point, just learning by experience. The other side of that is um, here is everything bullet point by bullet point. Watch me do it, you repeat it. Watch me do it, you repeat it until you have a fire. Um, and those are kind of like, um, you know, that's... Uh, it's that's it's like the dark side and the light side in, in the force. Um, but what we want is um, we're always trying to find the middle way. So that way of going, yeah, where where is that balance? And I don't really have an answer. I suppose right. that's why I'm kind of bouncing around a bit. Is no, there, yeah. is, there no, isn't an answer. And I think um, no, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of why what I'm posing is like, what, where is the balance between play and learning, or play yeah. and education? Well, and, what, I would, um, what what I would like to say is that I. I don't make a decision. So you were talking earlier about, you know, interpreting the word play as kind of children right. messing about and, and having fun right. um, versus learning. I, I tend not to make that distinction in that I think when children play, they are spe- that, that is them learning. Like yeah. that, that is yeah. their, that's their vocabulary for Very much so. picking up stuff. And I think yeah. adults don't really get an opportunity to play. Um, and, and, but like, like you alluded to, you know, that's not necessarily kind of absent-minded, um, nonsensical, you know, just jibber-jabber. <laughs> silliness, yeah. Yeah, silliness, yeah. yeah. Like, you can play in a productive way and as an adult, and I think um, giving yourself the kind of green light to do that is, is really important. And I think a lot of the feedback we get from clients, you know, for all the kind of effort I put in and the scripts that I've got for certain lessons and stuff, consistently the feedback we get is is those moments where they go you know it we they really enjoyed being taught something and then given the time and the space to figure it out for themselves to play yeah um right yeah and i think no um, no, definitely yeah yeah. And I and I really I would love to come back to this kind of concept of play because I think it's something that I feel really strongly about as well as as you said as adults being almost given permissions to play and I would like to come back to that but just to touch on what you were talking about there earlier specifically the firelighting and the sort of the uh, the sort of approach where it's like go off and figure it out versus I'm going to go step by step with you for me the best example I've ever had of a firelighting course. Um, was with NI Survival, Northern Ireland Survival in, well, in Northern Ireland uh, with Andy. Uh, he runs the, uh, the place up there. But he, the way in which that he approached it with me was that it was almost like the beginning was, yeah, go off, try and figure it out. You've got, it was essentially the task was a one match fire. Um, and of course I failed it. First time I'd ever tried it, I failed. Um, and they, you know, standing there watching, seeing what I was doing. And of course I failed and that's fine. And then, like, you know, I had gone off, gathered my own materials, did all this, that, and the other. But then after that, he was kind of like, well, why do you think it failed? And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe this or maybe that. And he's saying, well, from what I could see was A, B, C, and D. So now what we're going to do is we're going to walk around the woods. I'm going to show you what I would use. Um, 
and then we'll try again. And the second time I got it. And, you know, that was really cool because there was this build on, um, well, ignorance for want of a better word at the beginning versus like considered. And I was saying, I mean, this was very early in my sort of outdoor experience and I wasn't really seeing the forest floor the way I would now, um, or seeing, you know, what was hanging up in trees and what was, you know, available to me as sort of dry tinder and things like that. Um, and it was a very quick lesson. It was only an hour maybe, you know what I mean? But that like combined failure at the beginning with the experiential sort of walking around with this person and kind of getting a sense of their mind saying, well, this look, see this, see the way these branches have caught between it. Like these are last year's branches. They've become dead. They've fallen. They've gotten caught in the Y of this tree. They're going to be perfect. We're going to take those. We're going to stuff them into our pocket. All right, here's some old last year's uh, ferns. You know, they're brown. I mean, you know, whatever. Um, and then we, and then doing it again afterwards, after knowing, learning all of these things in a kind of a practical way, it was, yeah. So, I mean, it's just for me, that's a really good example of like a combination of allowing you, their, um, allowing their, uh, customers or whatever to fail but then picking them back up and showing them why they did that and then ultimately then the achievement feels a lot more rewarding at the end of that. yeah absolutely uh do you find it hard to balance that with the, the, the example that poor used for uh, for example the expectations that a course participant might have versus the way you like to teach because doing it in a little bit more of a play like we we as we as adults often in our work life and and sort of when once you have to make a little bit more adult decisions it is often quite a step-by-step process everything from you know being at the bank is a very step-by-step process going to the grocery store is a very step-by-step process like a lot of the stuff that we do on an everyday basis is a step-by-step process a career is a step-by-step process so breaking away from that on a course that might seem extremely daunting for people if they've never been out in, outside that much and they want to step into that how how's the feedback been to that approach that is maybe completely 180 from the way they view the world and learning and experiencing at the stage that they're in uh, yeah so i'm I think what I would say to that is um, I I try and approach all of the teaching I do um, in in a kind of complete... I, I basically try and remove myself um, as an entity from the um, from the situation. So my my approach when I'm meeting students for the first time is to try and sort of meet them where they are and move them to where uh, move them to a combination of where they want to be and perhaps um guide them guide that point of view to uh, you know um, a more realistic or a more sensible or a more valuable place because so- sometimes people come to courses with you know specific um outcomes that they've got in mind which might not necessarily be valuable or, or, or you know rewarding um but I always try and remove myself from the equation. So I never want to impose my, you know, my particular view um, on them. And so when, when trying to approach that balance, um, 
you know, it's it's all for them. It, it, the, the, it, I, I'm in service of them. So what my only goal is, you know, and and again, if we kind of give ourselves a simple structure to work within. So if somebody comes to a course and says, um, we're here because we want to learn how to light a fire in the rain, then I go, great, okay. And I will quite quickly try and work out what their approach to that learning process is. If, if they want a step-by-step, I'll give them a step-by-step. I, you know, I don't want to kind of impose this this view of like, you know, this is how I think you should learn. If they want a step-by-step. And, and to be honest, like a lot of our courses, a lot of the things that we teach, there is a guidance, there is, you know, um, a structure. So firelighting, you know, we're obviously going to talk about tinders. We're going to talk about kindling, uh, about how to set the, the fire structure up for different purposes and that sort of thing. So there are points, you know, there, there are waypoints on the footpath that we'll, we'll show them. Um, but there's, I suppose what we do is we provide play in between those waypoints. So we might say, okay, well, we're going to look at uh, kindling as a concept and what we, you know, I, I typically when I'm leading the firelighting sessions on our itinerant bushcraft courses, um, when I'm talking about kindling, I'll talk about this concept of hunting for it. So, you know, I, I don't typically aimlessly walk about, walk around the woods looking for fine twigs. Um, I'm kind of, it's kind of a targeted approach. So I, I know which trees typically drop thin twigs. Um, so I look through the forest for those trees um, thin twigs rot really quickly and we want them dry so I'm going to look for you know let's say birch trees that have got holly bushes or brambles underneath them and I kind of target my approach so when I'm speaking to them um, they've kind of got a framework to work within um, but then you know the play then comes where we say all right well go go see if you can apply these things and in, invariably people have either taken that on board and come back with exactly the right stuff or they've interpreted it in a different way or they're just motivated differently and don't and so we can then have a discussion about well this is what you've got um given the hunting that you've just done for this kindling so um you can either choose to progress you know it, you, you you can try and like that and see what happens and well you know like right. like that that yeah. you you may learn today what too little kindling looks like um or we can mm. we can you know provide you with an insight ahead of that, but it's all about what we do. So like the whole experience in failure, the the firelighting sessions that I I put together right at the start of my career for the um, the activity centre I worked at, which were for schools, they were more or less built as a kind of um, uh, an experience in failure for young people. So we we kind of we that was that was very much on the play side of the spectrum which was what do you think will burn let's give that a go um you know and and so i'd always give them a target and it might be that okay today you know i've got 12 kids in front of me so i'm going to split you into groups and um, the scenario is you've come to the woods today it's a beautiful um beautiful evening you're going to make hot chocolates for each other um as a, as a nice forest activity um and so in order to do that you need to light your kelly kettles and then it's just you know the next hour and a half is them consistently failing to light a fire until they don't <laughs> yeah right. but until they don't and so yeah. like you were saying you know with your experience in northern ireland like the reward then at the end is is paid off it feels much much better to have got that fire at that point 
than if we'd have just told them what to do and, and got them a fire. My that's my job. My job is to constantly play with that balance. <laughs> like that's the that's the fun of my of my job is you know I come home and I go all right. I got the balance really right there and I didn't get it quite right there. So next time I'll tweak it. And and then next time, you know, this bit's good and that bit's not. So it's just, yeah, it's a constant, um, constant game that I play. For sure. And I, and I do believe that what you're saying there about this sort of exercise and failure is really important for, for kids and for adults as well. Um, particularly for like adults who haven't really had to fail that often or things just come easy to people and <clears throat> there's a couple of people i know uh in particular that due to the fact that they never really had many sort of hobbies as a kid they find it really difficult to like well a to fail as an adult but b to like find to, to get the motivation to like uh to try new things or to taste new foods or and things like that because i remember like you know we were constantly like my parents were really good at like putting me into things like whether it was football, whether it was gymnastics, whether it was, you know, whatever, you know, take a box. Um, but the kind of the main kind of uh, overarching concept of all of those things was when you start, you're going to be shit at this. And when you walk in there, there's going to be people who are doing it 10 years and they're going to look like superheroes to you because they've been doing this a very, very long time. You're not going to be able to do that. And that's fine. Nobody expects you to be able to do that, but given time and practice and the ability to suck at something for a long time, after a month, you won't suck at it so bad. After a year, you'll start to see progress. After two years, you'll start noticing the difference between you and the kids who are just starting. And if you if you experience that enough times as a young person, whether that's learning an instrument, whether it's you know earning your black belt, and whatever it might be, as an adult, you become... I, I think much more, um, uh, what's the word, sort of um, acclimatized to it's okay to be shit at something and you, you don't have to be good at everything. And I think people that like people that are kind of a little bit bullheaded or a little bit arrogant, I feel like those types of people are compensating for the fact that they've never, like they haven't failed enough as young kids are they you know and i think that's really really important so it's interesting to hear what you're saying there is that like it's an exercise in failure because if you fail enough times eventually you're going to get better at it and i think that's something that we should all be sort of thinking about as adults and, and i think that's one of the things that i've really appreciated about my bushcraft and outdoors experiences because over the last you know whatever five six years that i've been at this i've i've come at it as a complete noob and things that i like tried even a year or two ago i'm thinking about now going jesus what was i thinking like of course that wasn't going to work or you know why did i buy that backpack or you know and i and i love yeah, that yeah. and it's like it's almost like it's that's for me is an exciting part of the journey and uh yeah and, and i think that's kind yeah, of absolutely yeah 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 i mean like it it's a cliche isn't it but i've quite often been been quoted as saying that you 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 only learn from failures. Like uh -huh. if I've got somebody that lights a fire the first time, right? Then all they've learned is that that worked. Yeah. But they've got no real understanding about why. Whereas if somebody's failed for forty-five minutes and then lights a fire, they know they'll have a much cleaner idea of what it is. But it's also humbling as well. So you know, you talk about people being arrogant because they've not been, they've, they've not had the opportunity to fail a lot. Um that arrogance comes from somewhere. And I think that the fact that 
you know, if, if you fail a bunch of times before you get anything, it, it shows you that you're not infallible and it shows you that other people aren't and you get a much rounder person. Yeah. I, be- I think you become a more resilient person as well because it's like, it doesn't, I mean, I know, I know of people as adults, as I said, that like they'll try something, they immediately fail at it and then they just give up because like, ah, fuck that. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Give it a shot. Well, we, we, absolutely. Well, we just, we just ran our wildfire course, which is basically a bow drill day um, where people right. make That's a, a perfect example. Sentence. Bow drill. Yeah. 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 And we, we start that day, um, you know, we give people a Mora knife and a Laplander saw and a bit of string. And we say, all right, at the end of the day, you're going to have fire. Um, and then we go out, we, we find the materials, they make their own sets. And I, I still think that that course is going to attract people that have been on several bushcraft courses and want to refine that specific skill set. Um, but what we typically find is that that course attracts complete like novices, like people that have never done a bushcraft course before. Um, I would say nine out of 10, the people that are on that wildfire course have never done a bushcraft course before. So I'm not sure. I, I've still, you know, I'm still pondering why that is. It's probably something to do with the. Um, I, it, 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 I think there's a reason why people who don't know anything about bushcraft are attracted to that specific skill. Yeah. And I think there's also something in. It's like spoon carving. I think in the sense that there's a really small window where people know enough to know that that skill is valuable. Right. Without then passing that threshold of going i'll learn it for myself uh-huh. um you know like i yeah like you know there's, there's not that much time that elapses between when you feel like knowing how to do bird is something that you want and then generally having the kind of wherewithal with the with the knife skills and um, tree id and that sort of thing to just puzzle it out um so th- there's probably something in that but yeah but that that course is like you know people the one we just ran this weekend, it's not an immediate thing. Like it's, it takes, you know, we meet them at nine o'clock in the morning. They take all morning to carve the sets. So probably after lunch, we start looking at getting the sets to actually work together. Um, and then trying to, uh, you know, we talked earlier about managing expectations. So, you know, I'm that, that course from my point of view as the instructor is, you know leading their expectations to where where they're going to go because i i know full well that you know you carve a bow drill set you load the spindle into the bow the first time and within two or three strokes you know okay yeah the spindle's not quite circular or it's a little bit too a little bit too long or you know and so we build in like we talk about play like specifically on that course and we get to the point where the bow drill set is more or less working and I said, okay, there is now an hour built into this course, typically between 2 or 3 p.m., where we go, this is purely a play. So you've got an hour to just see how your kit is working, you know, adjust your body positions. I've already coached them to, you know, where I think a good baseline body position is, posture, you know, motion from the shoulder rather than the, for the wrist, all, all these things. Um, so here's an hour. Have a go you know, and just basically fall off the bike a load of times until right, you right, make right, it to right. the bottom of the hill without falling off the bike. Sure, sure. Um, and, and then we'll go for fire. Um, and so, yeah, like that, just, just building in that opportunity for, you know, the spindle flying off into the woods 20 times and all that sort of thing. Um, 
so that when it doesn't at the end of the course, like more than all the other courses I do, that course ends on a crescendo, this like big elation of, oh crap, I actually did it. <laughs> like, you know, because everybody comes to it differently. We had a really good course this last weekend where one of the people on the course was like, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do this today, but I want to know how so that I can figure it out at home. We had somebody else on the course who was like, I'm, you know, 90% confident I could do this on my own now, <laughs> like at the start of the course. And so they were like, I I, I know, you know, and they, and they were like, they weren't being up their own asses. They were, they were aware that like, they basically were saying, I, I know it's possible and I feel fairly confident that I'm motivated enough to to puzzle it out myself but right right, right. i'd like some I'd, I'd like some guidance which some is guidance, great that's a yeah. really good attitude mm-hmm. yeah um and so it all gets to the point where yeah like half three in the afternoon they've all failed a bunch of times the the playing field's level at that point and everybody's like bloody hell you know maybe this <laughs> isn't possible <laughs> yeah my shoulder's then, really starting to hurt yeah, yeah yeah and so it, it then it but we make sure that everybody gets there so you know and, and there's built into the course is the whole concept that the lone survivor who's you know fallen out of a helicopter for the third time that week and needs to light a bird <laughs> fire is not not a realistic one right you know? right right but so i you know i do a lot of um waffling in the background while people are whittling about the idea that we're, we're a communal species and we've grown up with each other and you know we help each other and i think the bird is a perfect example of a firelighting system that is infinitely better with just one other person helping you, let alone getting five of you on the same set. Yeah, for um, sure. I mean, so, even the even like the the more sort of traditional, as if it, if it was used, however rare it was used as a as a means to light fire, it was as you say, like a very much a community based sort of endeavor, wherein yeah. like seven people would be bow drilling with, with the one sort of giant set, and then set. and then that ember would be kept alive. Then it's like, God, lads, I don't want to have to do that again, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, even like the Sand Bushman, you know, with the hand drill, that's, it's not one of them using the hand drill spin to light a fire. They all, you know, they, they pair it off and everybody gets a spin on the drill. Right. Um, because it's easier. Like, yeah. why, you know, why wouldn't you give your buddy a hand like, yeah, yeah, lighting no. a fire? Right, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, and so like, that's all built into the course as well. So when people do get tired, um, you know, they realize that actually, you know, what they want is the fire. They don't want the kind of, you know superhero badge on the chest saying they did it themselves um, yeah, yeah. What, what they want is the fire yeah. and so they then partner up or you know they just use a bit of an assist in one way or another and there's there's you know like i said the whole day is a play day so we mm. go through loads of different stuff um but um but yeah i mean i we ran a um we ran a, a an nhs um corporate gig last week um, where we had six, 60 um, healthcare professionals um, come to a woodland. So we were we were one of um, three providers doing stuff and I'd um, I'd elected to do Burdrill with them. So um, we got um, we got ten people at, at, at a time um, doing the Burdrill set. So mm-hmm. I had a group Burdrill set where you can get kind of five people on it at once. Yeah. Um, and I had I had um, I had 15 minutes with them, so I, I say hello at 
minute one, and they're looking at they're looking at the burning remains of a tinder bundle they've ignited in minute fifteen. Right, right. And then right. I wave them bye bye, and I get the other ten in. So that that was um, quite intense. That is, yeah. But but do, but doable, and 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 every group that came through. So we we did that six times over the course of three hours, and um, they all got the fire, and they got the fire because they were working together, and because it's a communal activity, um, and sure you know every once in a while i might be leaning on the burdrill set in a particular way to ensure the ember comes first time rather than third time but um you know that that's a different different kettle of fish um but um but it's a it's a great thing but the the whole the point of that you know is this idea that you're in it together you're working as a community as a team um and you've unwound decades of locked up sunlight from these sticks and ignited it into a fire i love that i mean that's a nice way of looking yeah, at it yeah group play one uh one thing that we talked a lot about during that um conversation over picking poop was the uh, <laughs> just not again not my poop well i'm not gonna mention whose it was either <laughs> <laughs> it was like 25 dogs worth of it yeah no yeah almost yeah any anyhow <laughs> we were discussing the also balance i guess and values are maybe a bit of a strong word to use but the balance of skills versus or not even versus but skills and naturalist i'm saying that with a little bit of a hesitancy because i don't know if that's the right word either but naturalist values in a course because it's easy to easy within quotation marks to teach someone x y and c but it's maybe harder to get someone to be really interested in the natural world whether it's doing that fire uh, bow drill course and it's like oh look up there that's that type of bird or look at this that that's type of plant and we were discussing quite a lot about the value of adding those small things into it to hopefully that people when they're outside by themselves can feel like they are a little bit more connected to the landscape than just having the skills of being able to do the sort of extracting activities in the forest like building a shelter from material from the forest and just being able to enjoy walking and seeing things around them to be honest those are those are quite different things they are and i think for for, um well i mean you guys might have a different uh, kind of talk behind this but for me i think that that is not something that can be sort of um emulated or replicated or taught even in a sort of a weekend course or a week-long course i think for me i think that takes years of genuine sort of uh curiosity from that person maybe they're quite far along in their journey when they are on a course with you or you're partaking in a course with them um or maybe they're complete beginners i think that has to be trained um and i don't think you can I mean, for example, when I first met you, Jeremy, it was one of the things that I noticed about you that I found really interesting. When John and I took that uh, dog sledding, just that little small trip with you, uh, you were pointing out things that obviously were coming really naturally to you. And it was one of the things, now that you mention it, 
that I, I really kind of noticed about your personality is that you're a very curious person when it comes to like the cadence or the sort of the, the, the rhythms of your area. And it was clear to me that you were very comfortable in this environment. Saying that, I don't think that's something that a lot of people would be aware of or pay attention to unless they had had years of outdoor exposure. It's almost like um, when somebody recommends a movie to you or a, or a game or a, a band or something to you, you can be like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, you're clearly really into that band. But I think the person really has to go and listen to them themselves off their own sort of free will to go yeah they were right this this is a cool band like i'm glad they showed it to me but i think that's a journey in self-discovery and i i don't think that that's something that you can really impart on a course but maybe maybe jamie uh doesn't think that I, yeah i i uh it's gonna be interesting to hear what uh, jamie says because i i uh don't agree at all with that actually i think you can't tell people of course that they should think about x y and c but you can definitely uh sow the seed of that there's sure. more to be outside sure. than just learning skills definitely. and that's more absolutely the sort of uh what we were discussing a little bit more how can you sow the seed of enjoying being outside that is not only a skills focused in a setting where someone is buying your service to learn skills uh, sorry, I wasn't listening. I was looking at a blackbird outside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? So um, where to go from there? Um, I, um, I think, yeah, I think we, we're all on the same page in that you can't necessarily teach people natural awareness um, if, we, if, we, if we just want to sort of categorize it as that um but i think a good guide a good teacher Mm. you know like you like you were saying you know when you when you had your first experience with jeremiah's Mm -hmm. um you 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 know they just exude it right like you're you're with somebody who um yeah and and i think when you're with somebody that's good at it um you you know you you'll realize that they're looking at a bird or they're you know figuring out why the usnia grows in this particular way for their own curiosity's sake and i think as an instructor as a teacher you can i can dial up those aspects of my persona to suit the group so if i feel like the group is not paying attention to those things you know instead of getting louder I might get quieter um, and they'll suddenly notice the void that, you know, was me sort of deliberately and overtly teaching them something. Mm-hmm. They'll look around to where I am and I'm, you know, I'll be quietly observing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's completely natural and organic because I am in that space and right. enjoying those things. Um, but if I'm there as the role of a guide or an instructor, sometimes, you know, again trying to get the group to where they want to be right um i might be i might i might kind of like i say sort of dial up that element gotcha um to guide to guide them down that path and so um and and we do that um a little bit with 
like the canoe trips we run as well. So we don't, we're not necessarily telling people like, you know, you're going to paddle X kilometers today and you're going to go up this hill um, and you're going to experience this thing. You know, we just take them there and what happens happens, but we're always watching them and, and kind of guiding that, that experience that they're having. So the last Glen Africa trip we ran, um, there were some deer on the side of the lock that a couple of the clients spotted. Um, and so we were just sat, sat quietly watching those. And the second half of the group caught us up and they were sort of talking quite loud and quite boisterously and having having a good laugh. And as they approached us, they realised we were all um, sat quietly in the canoes, you know, watching something. And actually then it that from where they were, which was learning a hard hard skills so learning about paddle strokes they were suddenly dropped into this quietness of well what what are we all looking at and suddenly there's a deer and they realize actually you know the paddling they've learned there has got them to a place where they can enjoy the deer and they and they realize that actually you know as much as i want to learn how to do a j stroke is and as is a valid way to spend your time outdoors you've got to think why do you want to be outdoors and and that's why because you then get moments like that where you see the deer and um, they they never picked up on the fact that i had turned my boat around and paddled 20 feet back at them and then turned around and sat quietly so that the first thing they came into contact with was me um so that the clients on the other side of me could sit quietly and watch the deer um you know that that's my role as the leader is to is to provide that yeah, you've yeah. you've got that sort of that uh, group dynamic uh, sort of reading a room. Yeah, um, that comes with yeah exactly. So I'm like, okay, yeah, the, yeah. these guys are going to approach. They're being really right. loud. They're going to scare the deer off. Yeah. I'll put myself in a position where I can go, you know, put my hand up and go, shh, look. And then as they pass me, you know, hopefully they don't scare the deer off, which which happened to work that time. Um, but it, but equally, like the other side of that is like that. That's a moment where you know we're creating kind of quiet appreciation later on that trip we were paddling down a river and an osprey flew over his head and then another osprey flew over his head and landed on a on a tree um i was like hollering and and really up and excited because they'd seen these birds like the whole group watched the bird fly over us and you know they they just thought there's another bird um but as soon as we started getting excited saying that's an osprey that's an amazing thing to have seen we're so lucky to have seen that that then is the experience yeah you're you're sort of you're exactly you're creating the narrative there aren't you and um that is one thing that i think we talked about the last time you were on jamie when i was trying to argue the point that you're a creative person and you were saying that you didn't feel like you were but for me, I think the creativity in the way in which that you guys seem to run courses or to at least the way you frame them, I think is the beauty and it is the, con- the context of the narrative. Like the naming of your courses is very like sort of um, evocative of a particular sort of, there's a, like a tone that you're trying to set or a sort of a, an, an objection, an, an, ob- um, yeah, the, the, the sort of the, the, the mission sort of say, well, imagine you were like, I think one of the, you were talking about when the itinerant course is based around um, postmen that used to like have to cycle around the country and like live in, like spend their time cooking on over hobo stoves and ditches and stuff in like, what was it? The 1800s or something. And that's a fucking cool place to start. Like as a person in on that course, and you can almost picture yourself in a particular role or as a particular character 
uh, while pursuing that. And I think that can contextualize learning so much easier for people as well when it's not just like an abstract sort of lesson, <laughs> you know, one of it, 15 it, lessons it, that it, you're going to learn over the course of five days. It can also be, if we go back to the sort of sowing a seed of, of uh, naturalist thoughts of looking at the world, if you will, that way of framing something works very much in favor for that just like you said like the the narrative of something like if you if you have you know this is skills this is all there is and you don't weave it into i guess that's a way to give people a little bit more of a maybe a story or something that they can relate to on why one would do fires in xyz way or why one would look at these specific plants at this specific spot because there's maybe some local history to it or there's some like medicinal property so you're instilling even if it is a skills-based course you can still give people a little bit more than what they paid for because they might pay for that you know i'm gonna learn how to make a fire but i'm walking out of been able to spot three different birds that I've never seen before, or I learned that you can eat this plant and all I paid for was how, how to make a fire. But also I think it's like, I, I learned that I can eat this plant because I heard a story about blah, 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 blah. Like from one, one example I can think of right now is I'm still pursuing a new tr- identification a week. So whether it's fungi, you know, tree, whatever. Um, and there's one I picked up on, which I already knew really, to be honest, but it's one that I kind of chose to address this week was, or last week was Fomus fomentarius, the bracket fungus. And one of the reasons why I always remember it is because of the story of Otzi the Iceman, who has found the the frozen uh, Neolithic man that was found in the Swiss Alps in like the ni- in 1990s. And he was actually carrying one of these and he was using it to transport fire. And just that like coupling that little piece of um history or knowledge or story to it very simple story uh i will never ever forget that mushroom or its purposes or its uses its usefulness even um and i love that yeah well i think um that's i mean that's uh, like essentially how our, our how our brains work isn't it so we've got um we don't work very well with abstracts it's why things like maths and physics are typically right. difficult for a lot of people is yeah, because sure. these are kind of just they don't they don't somehow relate to our experience um well they do it's just that teachers aren't good at connecting the how physics is relatable to us exactly when, so, when uh hannah is complaining about my math or counting skills i'm gonna say that you said it is because it doesn't relate to my experience and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like Jamie, a, you're right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, but but that's right. So, like what you were saying, Porik, there, like, so that's exactly the function of the teacher, like the guide, the teacher, the the you know the mentor. Your entire role is to get those abstracts to relate to that person in a way that they can remember it. Like, yeah, yeah, my my my. Like I said, my job, like I am in service to my students. So it's, you know, it's not, I don't sort of think of myself as like the holder of something that I'm giving to them. Um, right. 
I'm I'm just the you know I'm I'm the facilitator. I'm the key master. I'm just I'm just there to open the doors. Um, sure, sure, sure. I mean, so, you 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 have no idea how happy it makes me to hear that you say that you are in the service of your clients and students because that's I, I feel like that's a running theme in the world like i said like I, I can't say speak for the bushcraft world necessarily but just in general even if you have your own business even if you're an instructor even if you're a guide and even if you are put in this place of authority you are still serving the people that are buying your product and it is an extremely important thing to remember that you are serving them it's not it shouldn't get to the point where you feel like it is a burden or that they are there for you you are there for them and they are paying for your knowledge or your teaching skills not because you are you so that just you you said it twice now I, about i was almost about to say it the first time you said it uh but i so much appreciate that you're talking about it that you are serving them rather than it being some sort of a a a gift or 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 that that uh, you are somehow above them in the way that you are the authority it's yeah. the other way around really yeah absolutely and, and yeah that's just refreshing to hear yeah well th- thanks <laughs> like that's i genuinely kind of that's that's how i approach it really is like you know, I sort of said it earlier as well. It's not that. Um, um, sorry, I was just trying to listen to what your cat was telling us in the background. Then, um, <laughs> I think that was your cat meowing in the background. You're right. That was um, no, that was my door, my front door closing. <laughs> oh right. Well, you know, talk about narratives. You could have framed that differently, and I'd have had a better experience of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but. Um, but I can't remember what I was saying now. I've completely sidelined myself. I've sent myself an attention. We were we were talking about uh, being being a facilitator and like sort of a uh, yeah, that's a right. Gate, that's a, right. Yeah, a gate. A, yeah, that's, a that's it. So, yeah, like like I say, I it's it's we were talking about you know how to curate their learning experience um, before, and it it applies. That's that's why I have the teaching style that I do is you know I take myself out of the equation they are not there to learn from me I am there to enable their learning um and it you know I'm just a conduit to the knowledge that I picked up but what what my job is what my kind of particular role and skill set is is delivering that knowledge to them in a way that is relevant to them so rather than giving them an abstract like don't make your tinder bundle too tight your fire won't work um it's then um you know can you observe that your light that your tinder bundle is very smoky um and there are no flames let's explore what happens if we if we loft it a bit um you know and 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 sort of guide in their learning like that um but um but yeah to kind of sort of you know Put the put the put a, uh, a button on on what Jeremiah was picking up on there. Yeah, it's not 
in in no way does he, does any kind of ego come into it. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not that my students come to learn from me. It's that they come to learn via me. That's really interesting, and I love the. I love that mentality and maybe I mean for me the only kind of courses that I've taught really have been like carving and spoon carving and stuff and one of the things that I actually struggle with is almost the opposite of that where you don't you I find like maybe I go too fast because I don't want to seem like a know-it-all or seem like I don't want to be like because uh, I mean so for me there the balance is facilitator but then also like having some sense of I suppose leadership or you know in terms of guidance and i struggle with that and i suppose it's, it's a lack of experience or something that i don't do very often what i am good at is public speaking if i'm delivering a lecture or particularly in work or something like that but when it comes to teaching other people what i tend to do is i rush through it or i make assumptions that they know things that they probably don't know and i'm like oh but you guys probably already know this because i don't want to seem like I'm, te- I'm, you know, singing to the choirs or, you know, whatever, they, you know, what they say, preaching to the choir. Yeah. Um, yeah but, uh, and maybe that's lack of experience, but, you know, do you, have you ever found that you feel like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, like the whole, the whole trajectory that you go on as a teacher is, yeah, you sort of initially feel um, like you are an imposter and surely these people will know everything that I'm, I'm telling them. And so I'm right. just going to rush it all out there yeah. um, because, yeah. you know, That's exactly, I, it. I, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to be t- t- preaching to the choir. These, these must be skills everybody has. And then, and then you start, you know, you, you move on a little bit and you go, Oh, cool. No, actually that the feedback I'm getting there is that I'm rushing and, you know, I need to slow down because what I'm teaching them is valuable. Um, and of course, then, then you can end up on, on a weird path where you feel like, um, yeah, you know, you are in some way imbued with stuff that is valuable, and they don't have. And there's there's an interesting dynamic there to explore. But ultimately, you got to check you, yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then what you want to get to, ideally, is a position, and it is it's just ex, you know it's literally experience and teaching, teaching and exposure to teaching is where you want to be is a place where you can see in them what they're capable of and what where they are um and guide them along so like carvings are really a really interesting example because i when i started powell we had um, we had carving workshops um where it was you know you're going to make a spoon by the end of today or you're going to make four kitchen utensils and i thought it was really really achievable to basically split a log in four and then just make four like super simple spatulas um and the first course i ran was absolutely disaster because that wasn't achievable for the clients they'd never used an axe before they didn't have the wrist strength to to produce that amount of work in a day um and so you know what you realize is actually well i i need to meet them where they are and so i i very rarely run a carving workshop now where it is today we're going to make a spoon what i run is today we're going to learn how to use the axe and knife and the project we might work towards is a spoon because then you'll meet somebody who has literally never done it before and it's it's almost cruel to suggest to them that you're gonna you know 
teach them how to make a really nice spoon because right. it's the thing your that first 15 spoons are going to look shit yeah exactly yeah. it's iterative yeah. so um so what you want to do is put yourself in a position there where you can go okay well what i what actually is important here is like you know there are like five different carving techniques i would use to produce a spoon let's just focus on the forehand cut and get your forehand cut really good and actually what you can produce with the forehand cut alone is a fairly decent spatula um and you know you don't have to do any of the cuts you, you know don't have to drop into chest lever really you can do it all with the forehand and you'll have one good technique which you've honed really well in this session come back next time we'll go work on a different session um but then but equally you know you'll have people that are proficient and have done lots of different things and what they're looking for is actually a method uh, rather than here's how you do the reverse cut what you know what they want is like just give me a just give me a method to go from a billet to a, a spoon and so you know being versatile and being able to go okay cool yeah well all right this is how i go through the first three stages of spoon carving to refile a blank and then i go to you know smooth it out and all those sorts of things um but that but that is experience and and it takes time and i suppose the other the, there was a stage on that on that um, sort of Dunning-Kruger curve type thing with becoming a teacher, which is um, you feel like an imposter to begin with, and then and then you get a little bit further along, and what what you then start to think is uh, they think I'm an imposter, so I need to show off what I know in order to show them that I'm not, and that's a defense right. mechanism. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. you, you know, yeah, you, you have to get past that bit as well of going, no, yeah, I know sure. all this stuff, and and actually, yeah. like. The best um, examples of, of teachers that I can think of when I was starting out, and I was thinking, well, you know, who am I going to emulate? Who are going to be my my kind of mentors and people that I look up to? The people that I I liked most were the ones when asked a question would you know answer honestly and go, I don't know, you know. And I, I so I've seen some like really kind of well respected, like you know, top of the um, top of the food chain sort of instructors uh, whether that's mountain guides or bushcraft instructors or whatever at be asked the question and just go oh you know what i don't know that's a really interesting question yeah. let's let's research that back together to that. Yeah. yeah yeah no i agree with you i think that uh, is a really important thing it was something that my dad always used to say was like you know don't ever pretend that you know something that you don't because one you'll be caught out eventually and two uh people are gonna realize <laughs> that you, you're a fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. know-it-all like you know what i mean yeah, and i think sure. it also makes you more approachable more like uh, Absolutely. uh easier yeah, to, you, yeah for sure yeah yeah you're, yeah exactly you're more more human but also like something i remember thinking when i was a kid was like you know you get i, I kind of went you know i i, I got educated through a, a christian primary school and that sort of thing and it was always like don't don't do the naughty thing because it's a sin or you know because someone else will be angry at you um and i remember being a kid thinking at some point i'd done something and i felt terrible about it like you know whatever i'd i'd, I'd bullied some kid or some you know I'd, I'd done something where i felt terrible and i thought why didn't they ever tell me that i would feel terrible they said people would be angry at me but i i feel terrible for me and it's the same with teaching. Like if you're if you're pretending and you know you're um, you know trying to save face or whatever, you'll ultimately get home that night and you know look at yourself in the mirror or you know <laughs> and <laughs> you know you know the sort of you're a pony. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just think, oh, that feels really horrible because you know I lied yeah. today, and actually it's got nothing to do with anything. You know, for your own self preservation, it's worthwhile being 
being honest. What advice would you give to anybody who, you know, maybe wants to be not necessarily a bushcraft instructor, but someone who, because it's a strange, okay, let me rephrase this. In the bushcraft world or community, there seems to be this, um, there seems to be like that, that seems to be for, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but the pinnacle for people where their ultimate achievement is to become a bushcraft instructor, whether that's teaching for Ray, whether that's teaching for Paul Curley, whether that's teaching for Dave Canterbury, whatever, there's, it seems to be this echelon of, of like, uh, you know, it seems to be like the zenith of like, you're fucking like you've made it. If you're like on a, if you're a pathfinder instructor, whatever it might be, what, what is that? And why do we, why is it, why do we want to be, or why do people seem to want to be? It, what's the glamour in it? Because for me, I mean, I mean, Jamie, it's your bread and butter, and you're amazing at what you do. But for me, I don't feel like it's a particularly glamorous job, or a particularly like you know, no. you know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're, no, you. No, when, when you're scrubbing out Dutch ovens at half eleven at night, yeah, I think um, I don't know. There's probably all sorts of stuff tied into that, but I, I agree. I think um, is yeah. it the ego? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I tend to have a quite an optimistic view of like people in general, so I, I like to think it's probably not. I mean, there will be some people that want to get to that place, so that there is a "Hey, look at me! Look what I did!" element. But I think, I think probably it's a little bit of like genuine excitement. Like you know, if you if you are getting into bushcraft and you're suddenly discovering about phobes fermentarius about you know birch trees about edible pine bark and that sort of thing um about you know what an adder looks like and where it might be in the summer um there's there's a genuine excitement there that you want to share and i think um you know the the sort of template in the bushcraft uh world in particular is become an instructor and teach because <laughs> they're, they're the idols they're the ones that got you into it they're the ones that you've yeah, been watching yeah. on youtube and and, mm. and that's how you, and that is how you share that knowledge so like ah, oh, cool i found out this cool thing i want to pass that on so that's that's like the optimistic view of it um and i think but i think also it's probably something in the like the structure of the society that we like you know i kind of growing up in the 90s 2000s and trying to monetize your hobbies and that sort of thing. Um, it's, I think it's quite difficult to have um, to have a hobby at this point that isn't monetized. Like, I think there's this expectation that, well, you know, everything can be a side hustle. And my, my, my kind of hobby is, is going camping and doing bushcraft um, in order to facilitate that camping. And that's what I really enjoy, but that's outside of my job. And so in order to almost validate it, maybe there's this idea that it should generate a revenue. Yeah. Which, which is obviously um, really messed up. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I agree with you. And I think I've, I've fallen victim to it as well, even like between, you know, my girlfriend's really good at doing things because she wants to do them because she likes to do them because they're hobbies that she just gets joy out of. And I have a terrible tendency, like you say, to immediately start to think about this could be this is a really interesting idea for like you could you know a business or this is a you know you we could be selling these or you could build a website <laughs> for that stuff and you know yeah. i am tef- definitely bad at that well, i mean like yeah. i yeah i'm very much the same like 
pretty much everything that I do. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, that'd be a really cool photo for the website, or yeah, that'd be that'd be a really great um, idea for a blog post. You know, and I think I, like running your own business in particular, like my time's very scarce, and so any opportunity I have to kind of yeah um, integrate that into something, but like I've got to say, my my kids are the cure to that because, you know, when my kids want to play, that's that's all we're doing, and it's in service right. to nothing except them. Yeah, and so, that's great. Like, we went, that's yeah, great. like we went, we went swimming last night, and you know, that was just a complete like I I almost didn't want to go because so I've got quite a lot on my plate at the minute, and I thought I just want one more evening. I'm not going to get to do X, Y, and Z, which I really need to get on with. But they were like, really want to go, and I was like, come on, you know be the good dad, take him swimming. So me, me and Sarah took the kids swimming. Um, I think I liked it more than them. Like there was one point we were going, I took my little lad who's, who's just started swimming lessons. Um, he started late because of the whole COVID situation. So he's just started swimming lessons. I've not been in a swimming pool with him since he was like three or four and he's now seven. Um, and so we're in the swimming pool. We go on the big slide and he's, he's, I'm laid on my belly going down the slide and he's on my back, like squeezing onto my neck. And, um, I think there, there was one or two more drops of water in that uh, in that water slide when I got to the bottom because uh, yeah it was really like powerful to just actually um, again just play do you know what I mean like that I didn't get anything out of it I've got I've got no post for Instagram out of that or you know it's not helped my career in any way but um, and I think so like to answer your question I think people getting into bushcraft um, and pondering whether you know there should be an instructor i think you should enjoy you should enjoy it for its own sake um and if you're and and if you've got a an interest in teaching you know have a go at teaching but don't don't try and conflict too like i um i think we were talking about jeremiah when i was over, over with you in the winter was I almost don't, I, I have a hard time justifying bushcraft as a um, a thing in itself because it was, o- it was only ever the supplementary skills in order to do something. Like, I, like it wasn't in my vocabulary when I was growing up to go to the woods in order to do bushcraft. Like that wasn't a sense I would have put together. It was always, we're going to the woods to you know play with our air rifles yeah yeah like i'm gonna go like the most like quote-unquote bushcraft it got was like well you know i've got permission from my dad's mate who's a farmer to shoot rabbits on his farm and it's next to a woods so we're gonna go and camp in the woods and we're gonna get up early in the morning shoot the rabbits and that's what that's what we're gonna have for dinner that night and um, we're gonna cook them on the fire and i don't have any money because you know we're working class family so it was like well all right how, we, how, do, how are we going to cook this rabbit on a spit because we don't have a frying pan and all that sort of thing and you know, we didn't have a tent so it was tarps and shelters and that sort of thing uh, but but all the sort of bushcraft in there was all supplementary to this idea that what I want to do is go camping with my dad and my brother um, and, and, and hunt uh, but also just like you know be in the woods and listen to nature and laugh around the fire and all that sort of thing and so it's interesting trying to teach bushcraft because I suppose my whole goal is that people will um, learn some skills from me 
in order to go out and make a journey or spend more time outdoors, I'm not necessarily trying to generate, you know, a body of students that goes out to the woods in order to light a fire, carve a tri-stick and build a shelter. You know, like what I want you to do is go to the woods and listen to the birds and, you know, watch the rabbits in the foliage and all that sort of thing. Like be there or, you know, make a journey, go to a place you've never been before, um, watch a sunrise over a Monroe that you, you know, you've always wanted to go and see. Um, and these skills might help you along the way. It might be that you're traveling up there and you notice the wind direction changes. And so you put your coat on before it starts raining. It might be that right. you get to the end of that trip and you want to light the fire because it's been raining. And so you've got the skills to make a feather stick, but you've mm-hmm. not, you've not gone to that place in order to make feather sticks. Um, you've gone there to, to, you know, or at nature. Yeah, I definitely agree with I mean, you. It, I think, yeah, sorry, Yemers, go on. It ties perfectly into what we was, were dis- was discussing before about how to instill maybe other values than, than skills when you're teaching someone something. It is that, uh, that beautiful thing of maybe that maybe it's maybe it's your thing to go out and and uh, carve a spoon and have a fire or whatnot and there's nothing wrong with that but there's so much more in the outdoor world that if you sort of get stuck in that stage you're missing out on this whole fantastic thing that is nature and of course all these different skills can take you places but at the same time to be out in those places you don't necessarily need to have for lack of a better term you don't need to have the skills of how to make a fire to be able to enjoy and watch birds or rabbits or be out with family or something like that absolutely yeah and i think um you know that 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 works quite well as as an analogy there like you know you could carve a spoon in your living room but you you could also choose, and and I do like I regularly carve spoons in my living room. <laughs> but you could choose to go to the woods and carve a spoon, and there's something in that act of going there and doing it in that space um, that is worth paying attention to, and, and you know, not not to take that for granted that like okay, I'm going to go to the woods, I'm going to camp out, have a campfire, and I because I want to carve this spoon. That's all really good reasons to get you out of the house and in the woods but once you're in the woods yeah listen to the leaves and and uh, yeah the crackle of the campfire and actually pay attention to it it's all it always um seems um odd to me that someone might um you know sit inside watching endless hours of you know, other people going out to the woods and doing things and forget and forget to just go into the back garden and lay in the grass. Like you'll get far more out of that. Just, just, you know, shut your eyes or whatever, but you know, just mm. feeling the grass in your hands, mm. you know, in interacting with it. You I've know. often, yeah, I've often, and I'm maybe on a more like a sorry, heavy handed or kind of crude representation of that. I've often also been surprised or fascinated by these um 
you know, like America's got Britain's got talent and, and all of these shows and, yeah. and like pe- people sitting for hours watching people do things that they've spent hours learning how to do. And it's like, uh, if you spent as much time, you know, watching, you know, learning how to do something that you've always wanted to try learning an instrument, whatever, as you do sitting, watching the show of somebody doing an amazing fucking solo or whatever, a guitar solo. It's like, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, we, we have to be also wise about how we choose to spend our time. You know, of course people say that they don't have time to go out and time to spend with nature and their schedules are too busy and stuff. But at the same time, like I guarantee you, if you like look at, you know, the breakdown of how many hours a week you spend on Facebook, apply that to learning reading a book learning plants going outside whatever yeah for sure yeah, yeah anyway, I, I, I absolutely yeah. agree and I, yeah. I yeah i i you know i'm constantly reminding myself to do that as well i mean i'm yeah, as guilty as anybody of just like wasting yeah. hours just scrolling totally. and stuff um yeah. like everybody but um and you know like i'm sort of trying to like practice kindness as well and you sort of think well you know you never i whenever i feel like i'm making a judgmental view i I try and 180 that and wonder why i'm taking that view and and apply it to myself and you know obviously people have very very busy and stressful lives and you know fundamentally what what a lot of people need when they get home from the end of the day is to just switch off like escapism Escapism. absolutely totally understand that also yeah all, all i would sort of advocate is like you know, spend spend three hours watching Britain's Got Talent or YouTube videos of um, you know somebody silently cooking a lamb's leg over a fire, um, but have ten minutes for yourself as well. Like do you know do something for yourself, um, and like that can literally be you know I, I'm you know fortunate enough that I have a, a very small back garden to go and lay down in, but just go and sit in the park for ten minutes. <laughs> you know, or open the open the window and look at the sky. Like if, if nothing else. I'm pretty confident in saying that everybody can look at the sky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just have yeah, 10 minutes of that. Jamie, uh, I'm going to leave it there. Cause I think that's a really nice way to end a conversation. <laughs> um, For sure. I agree. Yeah. yeah. You're a, a wonderful person and a great teacher and it's always absolutely awesome to have you on the show again no matter how many hours we spend on here it could it could you could always add another two or three easily um oh, go on with you <laughs> <laughs> but the uh but maybe for the sake of uh other people or people listening to us blathering on um sure. i'm gonna i'm gonna uh cap it there and say thank you so much for coming on um if I people know, don't know you which i'm sure they yeah. do by now where can they find you uh, well, if you've not listened to the other two, three episodes that I've been on already. Yeah, for sure. Um, Go back and listen to yeah, those. Yeah, listen to those. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we are Howl Bushcraft. It's H-O-W-L. It's the sound a wolf makes. Um, and uh, yeah, so Howl Bushcraft on Facebook, Instagram, howlbushcraft.com is our website. Um, we've got all kinds of interesting stuff coming up in the in the year and into next year as well. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, and check out the bushcraft symposium as well because i'll be there this uh, this awesome yeah well uh guys i hope uh, you guys enjoyed this conversation between myself and jamie and Yermius. we are planning on doing some stuff together next year in association with trial by fire and hell bushcraft so we won't talk too much about that just yet but um 
there will be things down the line uh, that we can all kind of be part of um, and we'll keep you guys informed as those things progress um, but until then uh, guys do you have anything that you want to add before I wrap this up no not really it's always a pleasure <laughs> it's such a definite like no <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you've already said all the nice things. Yeah, I guess. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna yeah. silently nod here in the corner <laughs> and agree. Very nice. All right, guys. Uh, have a great night, and thanks for having this conversation with me. Mm-hmm.